You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to what I believe is the most beloved psalm in all of this book, Psalm 23. It is page 458 if you don't have a Bible in the Bibles with the seats in front of you. This is our last message from the book of Psalm. We have been studying the book of Psalms throughout the summer. In fact, it's interesting. We haven't even covered 10% of this amazing book. And so hopefully we'll have more opportunities to study, study Psalms. But I've heard from you that it has been a blessed series. Next week, we will have a one-off message as we celebrate three services and our anniversary. I'm going to Go to the pages of the book of Hebrews and actually unpack what the local church is expected to be. And so I hope that you'll come prepared to uh, be taught from God's word about that. And then, Lord willing, September 24th, we will jump back into the book of Revelation. And I know many of you have been looking forward to that. I hope you dust off your notes and we will be able to study the second half of that most amazing book. Psalm 23 even as you look at the opening verse, is likely one with which you are familiar. In fact, some of you might even have it memorized. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My, My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house forever and ever. What an amazing psalm. It's a psalm that really recalibrates us as human beings to purpose. In fact, I loved Matthew's testimony as he was in his 20s and Engaging with those important questions. Why am I here? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? It is something that every one of us as individuals, whether we think about it intentionally or not, care very deeply about purpose. In fact, listen to this quote from the University of Minnesota. How your life purpose consists of the central motivating aims of your life. The reason you get up in the morning. Purpose can guide life decisions, influence behavior, shape goals, offer a sense of direction, and create meaning. This is purpose. This is why you got up on Friday morning, even though our chiefs did something we are not used to. They lost. This is what gets you up in the morning on Monday to go to a job that you may not enjoy. This is what gets you up on a school day morning, even though you might have quizzes and tests. There is 
a motivation in purpose. And Psalm 23 recalibrates us to what the purpose of every human being is, and that is to celebrate the fact that we are sheep. That's our purpose. The the answer to the question that is being asked on so many university campuses, what is meaning? Why are we here? What is purpose? It is this answer. Celebrate the fact that you are a sheep. The big idea in your notes is that true purpose is found when we function as sheep dependent on our chief shepherd. That is the answer to the question philosophers have asked for generations and will continue to ask. But here's what I want to do. Beloved, listen. This morning, I want us to move from being consumers to contributors. I'm going to invite the ushers forward right now. And you were handed a note card as you walked in. If you didn't get one of those, what what I'm asking you to do is just raise your hand. Have them give you a note card. Everybody in the church, I I want to have a note card. If you're watching online, would you just make sure that you have a note or something in your phone that you can write this down? But as you take these note cards, there are going to be four outline points. As we walk through Psalm 23, there's going to be a, a contrast four times between what we naturally do and what a sheep dependent on a shepherd should do. And so what we're doing by handing out these note cards is asking you to move from being a consumer, move from just going through the the motions of listening to a sermon to actually writing down on this card one or more of these outline points. One or more of these outline points that as you invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you an area that needs growth, that you will actually take the opportunity to write it down. And at the end of the service... I'm going to ask you to bring these cards forward, to put them up here on the stage as a physical expression to your body, to your soul, and to the rest of your church family, that you're going to make this commitment, that over the next few months, you're going to intentionally take steps to grow in this area the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. He wants you to grow as a sheep. So you have your note cards, I'll unpack this more as we study the text, but the, but the first contrast is this. It's the question of, are you independent or inadequate? Are you independent or inadequate? We don't have a whole lot of information on the historical context of Psalm 23. In fact, if you look at the title above verse 1, there's no information other than it's written by David. You can also look at Psalm 22, and you can look at Psalm 24, and you begin to see that there's a trilogy about a king that these three psalms provide. It's actually a trilogy of the prototype king, the ultimate king, the ideal king. And we see in Psalm 22 that the ideal king actually suffers. Isn't that interesting? We see in Psalm 24 that the ideal ultimate king is sovereign, But here in verse 1, we quickly see that the ultimate prototype king is also a shepherd. Something with which David was very familiar, wasn't he? And so even in that background, we can see the importance of understanding this to look for clues 
in Psalm 23 that would have been familiar to David, that would have been familiar to the original audience. We see verse 1, the Lord is my what? Do you see it in the text? My shepherd. These opening words actually draw out vivid imagery. The fact that David says, the Lord is my shepherd implies that David is identifying himself as a what? A sheep. Sheep, my friends, are interesting animals. My daughter suggested that I look up on the internet dumb ways that sheep die, so I did that. (laughs) Sheep can die if they are stuck on their backs, they will suffocate. That's interesting. Just roll over, sheep. They can die if they are attacked by flies. If they are attacked by dogs or other living creatures, they cannot defend themselves. They can be frightened into a heart attack. They can drown because they can't swim. This is an interesting one. They can suffocate in snow. They can almost explode by eating grass and not stopping because they've eaten too much. They can die because they're too hot. They can die because they're too cold. And it just kept going on and on. In fact, I think there's apps for your phone that you can actually kill sheep in dumb ways. The fact is, this exercise reminds us something that David knew and the original audience, and that is, sheep on their own are inadequate. Isn't this awesome? So many of you have studied, like me, Psalm 23. We've read it. we've, We've had it taught. But yet, if we just stop and immerse ourselves in the text... There's so much imagery that we can draw from it. And listen, you don't have to have a seminary degree to find it. You just have to spend time. This last week, we have three elder candidates that we've been spending weeks going through evaluation and training. And one of our elder candidates was giving us a devotion of sorts and drew out an amazing discovery that he did by simply using technology that digs into the original language, and he doesn't have a seminary degree. My, my point in sharing this with you is, as followers of Christ who have the Holy Spirit in us, if we will just take time to immerse ourselves in the text, to actually ask questions in the text, to use tools that God has given us, these discoveries are, are present and they abound. David says initially in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I am inadequate as an individual on my own. But look at this last phrase. I shall not be inadequate. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew. The the, the negative is emphatic. He's saying almost in a shouting tone, although I am inadequate as a sheep, I will not be inadequate. What a statement For David to make. You know what's interesting is David actually is drawing from Torah. He's actually drawing from the first five books of the Bible by using this verb. You can write down Deuteronomy 2 verse 7. Moses in Deuteronomy 2 verse 7 is reflecting on the 40 years of the Jews being in the desert 
And he says this, these 40 years, you have lacked nothing. Same Hebrew term that David uses here at the end of verse 1. The Jews had been in the wilderness, and they were inadequate on their own, weren't they? For 40 years, they had been in a place that was not their own. They had been wandering. They had not been able to plant uh, vineyards. They had not been able to plant crops. They had not been able to have what the communities and nations around them had. And yet, for 40 years, they did not want. They were not inadequate. Yet, from the earliest points in our lives, we intrinsically act like we're independent, don't we? You ever seen a toddler whose parent is trying to help them with something? What do they do? No, I do it. From our earliest days, we are intrinsically inclined to move toward independence. In our 20s, when we're in college, we begin to identify our parents as never having a clue. In our 30s, we begin to say that our boss doesn't have a clue. In our 40s and 50s, we begin to say that government and just authority in general doesn't have a clue. We, we naturally, as human beings, steer toward independence. But we also do this spiritually, don't we? How? Let me give you a couple ways. Number one, we do not prioritize the disciplines that God gives to us as a gift. How many times do we see this in the Christian life? The gifts that God has given to us, prayer, studying God's word, being part of a community of believers, engaging with worship, walk, and work. And yet as Christians, we tend to express an independence that the gospel doesn't allow for. In fact, the very doorway into a saving relationship with God requires us to acknowledge our inadequacy, doesn't it? And our lack of independence. A second way we demonstrate our spiritual independence is we detach from the local church. You know, I can't tell you how many Christians... I have talked to who describe their Christian life in an independent way. I read the Bible on my own. I listen to podcasts on my own. I serve at Ascend Church and then watch the video when I get home. This is never how God intended us to function as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'll explain more about that biblically next week. We talk about being part of Bible study fellowship, and there's nothing wrong with that, or, or, or local Bible studies, or we hang out with other believers that we've grown up with, and we've done this for, for years and decades. But beloved, listen, the New Testament expects us as believers to be actively engaged and set as a priority the local church. You know, those Bible studies are not under the authority of a local church. They're not under the authority of, of elders who are character qualified, who will answer for your soul. There's a certain independence that Christians can slip into because this is human nature. And David is reminding us as individuals conceptually that we are sheep 
that we are desperate to depend on our shepherd, which really sets up the solution. And that is we need to be content with the knowledge of our shepherd. We need to be content with the knowledge of our shepherd. And I think that's why David uses this name of the Lord. He says the Lord. And you see the way that in most of your English translations, it's it's capitalized. This is the covenant name Yahweh. In fact, you can write down Exodus 33, verse 12, all the way through chapter 34 and verse 9. And you see God unpack what this name actually means. As Moses desired for God to show him his glory, he did so primarily by repeating this name, Yahweh, Yahweh, and then explaining what it means. Friends, here's a a quote, one of the greatest exercises to move you from independent to inadequate is a regular dive into the majesty of God's character and the reality of your inadequacy. A regular dive into stretching. Listen, we have a library over here in the office that has some deep dive books into the character and majesty of God. One of the greatest theological topics that you can dive into that will stretch you is the sovereignty of God. The topic of predestination. Now, some of you might be checking off right now and thinking about where can you go for another church. Well, just wait till another one of these outline points. Are you stretching yourself, taking a deep dive into the majesty of the character of God, and as you do, remembering your inadequacy? You can write down Ezekiel chapter 16. I was just studying this this week and shared this with our, my accountability partners. It is vivid imagery of a, a baby who is born and the umbilical cord is not cut correctly and the baby is wallowing in its own blood out in the wilderness and the king selects that baby, cleans that baby off, and the imagery is, is beautiful and it just reminds us who we actually are and who God is. And listen, beloved... If you do this on a regular basis, you get to a place where your preferences about local church, where your preferences about what you think the local church should be, begin to fade away. And you begin to realize, oh, God has designed it for this. God has designed the local church to actually be one of the greatest resources to confront my independence. So if you have your note card, maybe you have been functioning independently without rhythms of diving deep into the character of God, without viewing and responding to the local church as he designed it. Maybe you need to write moving from independence to inadequacy. Number two, are you allured or anchored? Are you allured distracted, tempted, or anchored. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. These two resources were crucial for sheep in Israel. Without green pastures, without a regular water source, sheep would die. 
And so intrinsic to the nature of these sheep was an understanding of need. And if that's the case with dumb sheep, it's even more so with us as humans who are uniquely created in the image of God. We, we know that we have needs for resources in our life. Just think about food. You knew waking up this morning, unless you were late and had to skip it, that your body needed breakfast. And and as you think about that need, you think through what do you enjoy? What is nutritious? What has good texture? What has good taste? We we know this intrinsically. We, We also know that we have need in our life for education. We know that we need to grow our skills. We need to grow our knowledge. We need to grow our abilities. So we need education in our life. We need rest, don't we? Do you, do, you, do you realize that? Don't you recognize when you have had a pattern of go, 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 that you need rest? Don't you recognize at 9 o'clock at night, or for those young people, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning, that you need rest? Don't you recognize your need for relationship? We we need relationship, don't we? And even the most introverted person in this room recognizes the need for relationship. And we could go on and on and on, but the point is that intrinsically, as human beings, just like animals, we have instincts that remind us that we have needs. But get this. The world offers some pretty shiny options to meet these needs, doesn't it? What's fascinating is about what the world offers is that it's usually something based on the senses, what tastes good, what feels good, what sounds good. But it's most often a pseudo or a false offering of need. Look at what the author says in verse 2. He leads me by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The the word still is a very interesting one. It's the Hebrew term manoah, which translates resting place. You heard probably in that Hebrew word the name Noah. The name Noah means rest. The term is found in the earliest pages of Scripture. In fact, you can write down Genesis 2.15. The verb that's translated, the creator put Adam in the garden, is the verb Noah. The creator actually placed Adam in the garden to experience true rest. You can write down Numbers 10.33. God took Israel out of Egypt to place them in the promised land where they would find rest true rest. We know by the time we get to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 that the land was always intended to be a symbol to point us to the place of true rest, which is abiding in Jesus Christ. As we see this, we begin to see that God is actually showing us through David that he's providing for us exactly what we need, not what the world offers. In fact, I I see it most vividly in verse 3. Look at the opening words. He restores. Do you see that in the text? The Hebrew term is the word shove. 
It's often the word that is translated obey or repent. Here's what the word literally means. It means to return to true sync. To return to true purpose. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the shepherd takes us as sheep who are wandering. We're pursuing what's shiny. We're pursuing what the world says will satisfy us. And, and the shepherd says, and he changes us and puts us on the path to restore true sync, to restore true purpose. And, and what is he restoring? Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. You see the contrast there. The world offers us what our tongue wants, what our eyes want, what our ears want, what our fingers and our touch wants. But the shepherd offers us what our soul longs for. The word soul means the part of us that is our true self. The epicenter of our desires and our longings. God has created us for a purpose and the shepherd is moving us toward that original purpose. You know, most of us, though, on our own are lured by the false purpose and glitter of the world. Here's a few ways you can evaluate whether or not you're being tempted by this or whether you have ruts in this way. Number one, evaluate the activities of your day. Just, just look back on the last seven days. Look back on yesterday. For a lot of people, a day where we're not working, what were the activities that took up your 24-hour period? They will reveal your priorities. Number two, how do you process life decisions, life-impacting decisions? The college that you're considering, the job that you're considering, the, the move that you're considering, the house sale and the house purchase that you're considering. L look back on your life decisions and evaluate. H how do you process those? What are your motivations? What, what tools do you use in the, in the path of the decision? And that will reveal to you whether or not you are lured or anchored. Here's a third question to ask. What are the sources of anxiety in your life? What keeps you up at night? What is a heavy weight on your mind and heart right now? You know, again, words matter, and David takes this word, restore my soul, this phrase, and he actually gives us the clue to what the solution is. Look at, you can write down Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord the word of the Lord is perfect, and it restores the soul. So, so, so what is the tool that the shepherd uses to restore our soul, to shove our soul as we are heading toward the glitter of the world? What does he use in our lives to change our direction and recalibrate our sink and our purpose to our souls, to our true self? It's his word. And so what are ways that you can do that? Well, commit to regularly engaging with his word. But even beyond that, commit this year to have an accountability partner. That you will text on a daily basis and say, listen, this is my discovery in Ezekiel. 
This is my discovery in Hebrews. This is my discovery in Psalms. Learn from them. Let them learn from you. Take it beyond this independent, isolated interaction with God's word and move it to a place that might stretch you. But then a a third opportunity for application is engage in small group. You know, it's amazing to me the percentage of regular attenders that we have in small group. it's, It's good, but it's not where it needs to be. And I hear a lot of excuses. We've got ball games. We've got work. We've got, we're just busy, busy, busy. And, and we'll get there in another outline point. But beloved, we're putting the ball on the tee. It's not a 95 mile an hour fastball. It's not a curveball. The baseball analogies abound, don't they? We're putting the ball on the tee. It's still, it's right there. A 10 small group to engage with the law of the Lord, to engage with the local community, and it will help you be anchored instead of being allured by what the world offers you. So on your note card, maybe some of you, by your priorities, by your day activities, by your sources of anxiety, demonstrate that you're actually being allured by the world and not anchored in the character of God. Maybe that's what you need to put down on your note card. Number three, Are you conditional or committed? Are you conditional or committed? Verse three is that, or verse four is that phrase with which we're familiar, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But if you're using an English standard version, you see there's a footnote there. The the phrase actually doesn't reference death. It literally is a, a valley of deep darkness. Deep darkness, studies show, has an impact on our life. In fact, studies tell us that if there is intense darkness physically, it affects our emotions. It can actually lead us to depression. So this concept of darkness is something that is important. But what it reminds us is the ancient context, that in order for a valley to have deep darkness, there had to be tall mountains by it or tall cliffs, and that's where enemies would reside. That's where predators would hide. It challenges a sheep as they evaluate their shepherd. Why would a shepherd take us through Valleys of deep darkness. You know, when we're asked to do something that stretches us or that we know intrinsically includes risk, we have a tendency to want to protect the outcome. That's why we purchase insurance, isn't it? We insure our homes, we insure our health, we insure our cars, we insure our meals. We think about trying a new restaurant. Sometimes we look for those guarantees, satisfaction guarantee or your money back. So many of us are sheep that follow the shepherd conditionally. And when he takes us through deep, dark valleys where there are threats, where there are enemies, it can cause us to question our shepherd, can it? But listen to this, the only appropriate response of sheep is commitment or full commitment to the shepherd. 
In fact, the opening phrase of verse 4 implies that we will be taken through deep darkness, even though since we are taken through deep darkness. The, The Christian life includes deep darkness that our shepherd actually leads us through. Listen to this. Often shepherds took flocks through deep, dark areas because the other side was better pastures. Isn't that interesting? That's how we can take a historical context, and do you see how that becomes practically relevant for us today? The shepherds would take sheep through deep, dark valleys because the shepherd knew on the other side was better pastures than where they'd been. So what does David say? I will not, Uriah, in a negative fashion. I will not fear in a negative fashion. I will not get to a place where fear derails me or threatens me. Why? Because this phrase, beloved, look at this. You are with me. That's enough. How do we get to a place where we are conditional with our shepherd? We'll look at past decisions. What did you prioritize? I talk to a lot of professionals who consider a new job, and the first thing that they consider is the finances. The first thing they consider is the, are the benefits. The first thing they don't consider is how will this impact my family and the responsibilities that God has actually put very clear in black and white in terms of my responsibility to them. How will this move set me up with a local body of Christ that preaches the word, that makes disciples where I can make disciples? That's usually not on people's radar, and it's not certainly a priority. Look at your own past decisions. Here's a second one. If you were to ask yourself if this was turned upside down in my life, it would be disaster. What would this be? For me, the sending off our oldest daughter to college has been an opportunity for me to evaluate this. My my this would be my family turned upside down. So I'm wrestling with this just as I'm sure many of you are. Here's a third question to ask yourself. How do you respond when something doesn't smell right? Here, let me, let me give you an, a church illustration with this. When you hear the pastor preach a doctrine that doesn't smell right when you compare it to your traditions, to your childhood denomination, to a pastor or author that you highly respect, how do you, how do you respond? I joked about this earlier, but it tragically has played out the last 13 years, and that is people hear something on a Sunday morning that doesn't smell right compared to their traditions and denominations, and they immediately begin to look for another church. Or do you actually wrestle with it yourself? Do you actually study it yourself? Do you actually reach out to the pastors and elders of our church to say, okay, if you're, if you're saying this, I want you to explain it from Genesis to Revelation, and then I'm going to try to defend my position, and let's get to a place where we're submitting to the word of God and the shepherd. Here's a fourth question to ask. Are there any life contexts that you're trying to do on your own right now? 
trying to parent on your own or do you have mentors in your life that you're seeking counsel from? Trying to do marriage on your own. You're trying to do singleness on your own. You're trying to do widowhood or, or being a widower on your own. Or are you seeking out counsel and help and support? Friends, this reminder of the deep darkness is an opportunity for us to evaluate. Are we conditional or are we committed? It says in verse 4, you are with me, your rod, which is a tool of rescuing sheep, and your staff, which is a, true, a tool of protecting sheep. It is them who nehem me. That's what the Hebrew term is. It's a term that means you get to a place of comfort through realigning yourself. It's often translated repentance or relent. But the place of getting to a place, the path of getting to a place of being comforted by our shepherd is making sure that we are realigned with him. So as you have your note cards, is this what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that you've been living conditionally with your God, conditionally with your shepherd. You need to get to a place of living committed. Which brings us to the fourth question. Are you frenzied or feasting? Are you frenzied or feasting? Look at the end of verse 6. Do you see it? Do you see it in the text? The house of the Lord is the better pasture that the shepherd is taking us through the deep darkness to be able to enjoy. Isn't that awesome? David is using imagery here. He's taking us as a shepherd from the, from the field where the pastures are. He's taking us by the pastures, the green pastures and the still waters. He's actually taking us through deep darkness. Why? Because there's better pasture land in the place where we're dwelling with him. 1 Corinthians 3.16. The place where we're dwelling with him is when we have the Holy Spirit in us, when we are saved, when we are dwelling with him, abiding with Christ. So here's what Psalm 23 is. If I was to summarize it in one sentence, David is saying it's the shepherd king guiding intrinsically inadequate sheep with everything they need to the place of intimate fellowship with him. That's what God's doing. Wherever you find yourself in your life, whatever life context you find yourself in, whatever, wherever you've been in the past, wherever he's taking you in the future, David is, is summarizing it in Psalm 23 saying, the shepherd king is guiding intrinsically inadequate sheep, giving them everything that they need, just like he did the Jews in the 40 years in the wilderness, bringing us through deep darkness to the place where we will ultimately be satisfied in him. Ah, oh, but there's something that these two verses remind us that is important for us before we close. He says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Literally in the Hebrew, it's a cross from the ones who are constantly seeking my harm. And, and if you're like me, I, I think of enemies like, you know, maybe liberalism. Or, you know, school systems that are crowding God out of the equation. Or unbelieving neighbors. But you know what I think one of the greatest enemies is? And this was a discovery I found in my study this week. It's the clock. It's time. 
It's being frenzied. Listen to the anti-Psalm 23 that I'm sure most of us will find personal conviction. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. This is likely one of our strongest enemies. So, so, so how do these two verses and this entire psalm help us move from frenzied to feasting? Here, here's one. Prioritize the shepherd's big rocks. This was an illustration that I remember in the corporate world. They, they would put in a jar big rocks, pebbles, and sand, and then they would pour them all out and put the sand in first, and then the medium rocks, and then the big rocks would never fit. And the image there is exactly what David is reminding us. Prioritize the shepherd's big rocks. Worship, walk, and work are a great summary of what that is. Look at verse 5. He prepares the table before me. His resources are what will satisfy. His resources are the big rocks. And we see it from Genesis to Revelation play out. So prioritize his big rocks. Number two, rule the calendar rather than let the calendar rule you. And then number three, depend on his resources. It's interesting. Verse 5 says, you anoint my head with oil. I thought this was like what priests did to kings or prophets. That's not what this is. This is a different term. It means you make my head fat. And in the ancient world, this was a sign of nutrition and health. So as my cup overflows, the, the liquid that I need to be able to survive is more than enough. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy. The word mercy is the word hesed, which is covenant steadfast love. Shall actively pursue me. That's literally what that phrase translates. So as I'm walking as a sheep, as I'm pasturing as a sheep, right behind me all the time, pursuing me is goodness and hesed love. And then it says, I shall dwell in the very place I was designed to enjoy the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Maybe this is what you need to write down on your note card. Moving from being frenzied in your life to feasting. I want you to take a moment now as we close to write down one of these outline points. You can write down multiple ones. I, I knew, because I've preached this to myself several times already, I, I knew which one mine would be. And I'm going to invite you, after I pray, to bring these up. And that may be a place of uncomfortability for you, but I'm going to challenge you to move past that. 
I'm going to invite you to express to the Lord, to those around you, and to your own soul that you mean this, that you're going to work on moving from what's natural to what a sheep should do. And then as you go and you sit back down, I'm going to encourage you, put, put in your notes, put in your phone, put a reminder to continue to work on these things. Wouldn't it be awesome for us over the next three months if we as a church were able to see that the needle of our dependence on our shepherd moved these months? You know, what we plan to do is put these cards up in the lobby, hang them from some strings so that throughout the month of September, you'll be able to walk in, be able to see these reminders of what we're committing to and pray for the church, pray for those who put these things on the card. But let's spend this time responding with action to what God has taught us from this beloved psalm. Father, thank you for Psalm 23, and more importantly, the purpose that you designed us for, to be sheep dependent on the shepherd. Would you use this exercise of physically writing something down, physically coming forward to to move us beyond a place of being consumers to actually contributing to our walk with you, to contributing with action in response to your word. Do a work through your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name.